You're listening to The Way Home with Daniel Darling, a proud member of the Venom Audio Network. Welcome back to The Way Home Podcast, my friends. Glad to have you here for another episode. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you do, I want to encourage you to rate and review it on iTunes and to spread the word. Before we get to our conversation, I just want to tell you about two important things. Uh, One, my new book, Away With Words, Using Our Online Conversations for Good, is out and available wherever you buy books. Perhaps you're reading it now. If you are, I'd love to uh, hear what you think about it and possibly write a review on Amazon. But if you have not gotten it, you can go to awaywithwordsbook.com and there's links to all your favorite retailers, Amazon, Christian Book, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, And don't forget independent bookstores. It's all available there. Would love for you to pick up a copy of that. Also, I would love for you to sign up for my newsletter. It's called One Little Word, and it goes out about every two weeks. And I have fresh content in there that you haven't found anywhere. Original stuff, not found in any of my articles or book chapters or anything like that. And I talk about all sorts of things from history to ideas on leadership, to some things I'm learning in the scriptures, kind of an eclectic collection of ideas that I'll send out in there. Also, you'll get updates on my latest projects and links to my latest work, wherever it is around the web or publications and what I'm reading. I'll put in there the books that are on my book stack. So if you like that sort of thing, please go to my website, danieldarling.com and sign up for one little word. I'd love to have you as part of that community. We have a great guest lined up for you again today. My good friend Ben Watson, the former NFL tight end who won a championship with the New England Patriots and also played for the New Orleans Saints and several other teams, is back to talk to me. Ben has appeared with me at a few pro-life events, uh, particularly Evangelicals for Life that we hosted when I was at ERLC. I love the way that Ben uses his platform as a professional athlete to speak out on important issues like the sanctity of human life, pro-life issues, anti-abortion issues, but also on the issues of race and other things. He is coming on to talk about a brand new documentary that he has directed called Divided States of America, where he travels around the country talking about the issue of abortion and gauging people's opinions on it from a wide range of perspectives and some surprising findings. Open people are to doing something about it to restrictions and really how repulsed they are about the taking of innocent human life. So Ben is very outspoken on that issue and he comes to talk about that. I also ask him about what it is to be an athlete today and how many are increasingly using their platforms to speak on issues that they care about. Some that you may agree with, some you may disagree with. Ben Watson will talk very vocally about the pro-life issue, but then I'll also talk about race. And he kind of opens up about what that experience is like and the responses he gets. And then lastly, I'll ask him what this season of life is like for him, having just recently retired, having to pivot to kind of a new way of life and new vocation uh, after so many years going to practice and going to games and training for football. He's very open about this chapter in his life. I think you'll enjoy this conversation with my good friend, Ben Watson. Well, 
I'm glad to have uh, back on the podcast uh, Ben Watson. Ben, thanks for joining me, man. man. Great to be with you. How are things? Things are good. I think I had you on my podcast a couple of years ago when you spoke at Evangelicals for Life. Yes, I do remember uh, that when I was at when I was at ERLC. Uh, that was a lot of fun. It was, and I, I think we had a we come up into our suite. My daughter was with me, and she was like, thought it was so cool. I know my, my daughter uh, just waved but, goodbye to me. She's uh, heading to ballet, so. <laughs> but I do remember that that was a great that was a great conference. I remember that that vividly. Yeah, so I wanted to have you on again for a few reasons. First of all. You know, things have changed a little bit since a few years ago. You are now retired from the NFL. So I just wanted to ask you how that's been going and how do you feel? Is it, is it been an adjustment to what do they call it? Civilian life after the NFL? <laughs> it's been a bit of an, <laughs> a, an adjustment, um, you know, 16 years of, of uh, pro football. And, and, and be, before that, you know, you're talking about college and talking about high school. So this is my first August, September, October, not having football since like ninth, ninth mm-hmm. grade. And so that is different. That's I'm kind of looking around like, oh, this is what people do when they don't have to, you know, go to practice every day and that sort yeah. of thing. But um, it, it's been good. It's been good. It's been um, been able to get involved with a few other things and, um, you know, spend different time here and there with the kids, things that I wouldn't have been able to do, attend flag football games, and those sorts of things that I wasn't able to do before. So uh, there's definitely some positives to it, uh, but it is a transition. It is a change, uh, something that, you know, I'm working working on. As you can imagine. Yeah. I imagine, in, and I'm curious, I imagine in one sense, it's like a, you know, a relief that you could do other things and, you know, you don't have the grind of, you know, having to train and all that. But then on the other hand, I'm sure there's a lot that you miss about the camaraderie of the locker room and, and, and the competition, the thrill of competition and all that too. So I'm, it's probably a little bit mixed, right? It is. It definitely is. And, you know, you put so much into something. This is something that you wanted to do since you were very young. And you've crafted your life uh, around um, perfecting your skills and scheduled your life and your family's life around things like training camp and off-season workouts. And obviously the season has its own cadence. And so, you know, now it's, it's figuring, figuring those things out. Uh, I do miss uh, hanging out with the guys and I don't miss the pain of waking up on Mondays, though. After feeling like you got hit hit yeah. by a couple of Mack trucks, I don't miss those surgeries and that yeah. sort of thing. But there is a sense of accomplishment, you know, when you get together with a group of men and and work toward a common goal. But but you know, I do feel like I exhausted my time, and I feel like I finished what I was supposed to do in that realm. Even though you know, as a football player, you'd always play. Can you play again? Yeah, of course I can play. But yeah. but I do feel like there was a sense of completion, so to speak, being that I played for the length of time that I did. Yeah, that that's cool. I imagine it's, you know, unlike any other kind of career or a few other careers, you know, athletics is one that you retire at such a young age, even if you have a, you know, you played 16 yeah, years yeah. is a long, that's a long NFL career. Yeah. I mean, that defies the odds in many ways with, with the kind of the, the average and yet, you know, you, you retired at a pretty young age and you're thinking about the next season of life. It's got to be hard for athletes that, that, that do that and think, okay, what do I do with the, the rest of my life? Yeah. Is that a hard adjustment for a lot of guys? I mean, you, you already had a lot of interests. So yeah. for you, I'm sure pivoting to that's one thing. But for a lot of guys, it's probably like, man, this has been my identity. How do I? Well, I think, I think everybody, struggles, everybody struggles with it to an extent. And you know, no matter how many interest that you have outside of your your occupation uh, you still have your occupation and so you know it's one thing you have the main course and then you have all the sides that you're involved with 
uh, well, you're taking the main course out yeah. of there. So you got to figure out again, what's going to be the main course. And so no matter how many side dishes that you have that are delectable, you, you still have to figure out how to replace that main thing. And so for me, you know, I'm just getting into it, but the last several months, there's been highs, there've been lows. There've been times where I feel like, man, what am I doing? I missed it. I miss playing. I miss, you know, the grind, doing what the, the things that I have been doing. Then there are times when I feel like, wow, you know, guys opening up this door and that door. And this is really amazing. The things that are happening in my life outside of football. But a lot of players in any sport, you know, struggle with that sort of thing. I think a lot of people, you know, you think about where we are right now in the United States and in the world when it comes to 2020. And there are several people who even may be listening that have uh, been laid off or have had to change careers mm -hmm. or their career looks differently because of, of COVID. And they're dealing with the same identity crisis because no matter how much you try to separate your identity from your occupation, there's still a part of you that is identified by that because you put so much time into it. And so athletes are no different. I mean, I'm, I'm fairly young, so to speak, but you're only as young as how long you live. So who knows how young any of us are, but I'm <laughs> turning, I'm turning 40 in a couple months. So in December. And so on the one hand, I'm kind of in that middle stage of life entering it. And so it's, uh, that's tough anyway, when you feel like you're still a kid, but then thinking about, okay, what, what's this next half of life going to be like? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. You'll like the forties. It's, it's <laughs> great. I turned 40 a couple of years ago. Uh, you'll like it. When I, when I think of you, Ben, and we've had some time to spend together and I just have watched your public profile too. And you are an example of someone who's used your platform to really speak speak out on things that you really care about particular you know you you talk openly about being a christian and your faith in christ but also about issues that you care about and there's a lot of conversation right now about athletes and sports and should they speak up should they not i'm curious what your thoughts are on that i i think when i watched you do that i think you did that very well but not everybody takes kindly to athletes kind of speaking their mind what do you say about kind of that conversation how we should think through that well, obviously, and maybe it's not obvious, but I, I'll say that I am in favor of any person, any any citizen in this republic speaking their piece. Uh, wh whether we agree with mm -hmm. them or not, I, I feel like one of the hallmarks of American culture is, and one of the rights is obviously to, to express yourself freely. And though we may disagree with certain things and may, we may not want to hear certain things from certain people, we can disagree respectfully uh, but there is no one that I would say should not speak if they if they want to. When we get into that into that game, it's very dangerous about, OK, well, who gets silenced and who gets censored and who, and who is it? And what I've seen a lot in the athletic landscape when it comes to, quote unquote, political issues or social issues is there is a, a part of the populace that wants athletes to speak if they agree with them. And the other part doesn't want them to speak if they don't agree with them. And they tell them things like shut up and play. Uh, be quiet. It's out of your realm. We don't want to get into politics and sports. And it's quite amazing because these are people who these athletes pay taxes. A lot of them, <laughs> a lot of taxes. <laughs> they vote. <laughs> yeah. uh, they are fathers. They are mothers. They do everything that everyone else does. Um, their occupation just happens to be in, in athletics, in, in athletic entertainment, basically what it is. And so I'm always in favor of my teammates speaking up, being involved in their communities, being involved in issues that are near and dear to their heart, you know, but, but also with educating themselves on these issues. 
uh, it's one thing just to talk about something. It's another thing to spend some time speaking with those who are professionally involved with that topic and forming your own opinions and, and, and encouraging others to do, to do the same. And I've been really proud of, of so many athletes uh, for, for speaking out against or for uh, issues that we're all grappling with uh, in our own way. Yeah, and it, it does seem interesting to me, too, that wherever you are on the political spectrum, it seems we like it when athletes speak up when it's an issue we care about. When it's not an issue we resonate with, we kind of say things like, you know, you need to stick to sports or just shut up and play and all that. And and I feel like I see that across the spectrum, right? So early on, however you feel about Tim Pebo, you like him or hate him, when he was early on speaking up about the pro-life issue, you know, years ago, you know, there was a lot of folks that were kind of like, he shouldn't be doing that. He's bringing controversy into this sport. He should just play sports. Mm-hmm. Of course, we kind of see the mirror image of that now when a lot of athletes are speaking up about, about racial injustice and people on the right side of the mm-hmm. spectrum, not all of them, but some saying, hey, I just want to have you play sport or just watch you play sports. You shouldn't mm-hmm. say anything. So it seems kind of like we do, we do that condition on kind of where, yeah. where we are. Yeah, right? and, and I'm not as, as accomplished or famous or well-known and respected as Tebow and, and LeBron, but let's just take those two for example. If you look at my own timeline, when I speak about sanctity of life in the form of abortion, there's one crowd that stands up and cheers. When I speak about sanctity of life in the other spectrum of racism, there's another crowd that stands up and cheers and the other crowd says to be quiet. And so even within you know, my personal journey and my personal opinions, it's really, it's, you can see exactly what you're talking about. You can see that, that dichotomy there between saying one thing and, and saying something else within the same day. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. And I, I appreciate the way that you kind of just call it like you see it based on your convictions. So that, that obviously brings us to the project that you're, you're working on now, this film, Divided Hearts of America, talking about the pro-life issue, talking about abortion. What really motive I know you've always been a strong pro-life advocate and I've appreciated that about you uh, but what motivated you to do this movie now and what what message are you trying to, to, to send for people who watch it well the motivation I mean it started really back in the beginning of 2019 when New York passed the Reproductive Health Act and you saw uh, conservative states pass kind of trigger laws you know on the pro-life side, and then you saw other states pass more liberal abortion laws on the pro-choice side. And uh, like never before, I felt like there was a ramping up or a a tension that was building when it came to the issue of abortion. What I didn't like so much was the rhetoric that was surrounding it, you know, the way that East Side calls each other inhumane and and wrong and villainizes the other side. And and I, I wanted to kind of take a journey and figure out, okay, what exactly is abortion? Is it a clump of cells? Is this a baby? What is science telling us? What is biology telling us about what's going on in the womb? What rights should be afforded to the fetus? What rights should be afforded to a mother and a father? Where are we as a country? How do we get here? Because a lot of times we are very narrow, uh, nearsighted when it comes to the political landscape or even uh, how things got to be the way they are. How do we get here? Where are we going? What are the implications of that? So those are all the things that I was thinking about. And as you as you mentioned, I've you know my wife Carson and I have been involved with supporting pregnancy centers, and you know it's no secret where we stand on this. But I was approached by another group that was thinking about doing a documentary, asking if I wanted to be involved. 
And it was kind of like God was matching up a desire that I had to do something different in this sphere with uh, a desire someone else had to create this documentary in this film. And so Chris and I, my wife yeah. and I are executive producers and, you know, through the film, the goal was simply to talk about the divide in our country when it comes to abortion, because we are very, very divided on this issue. It's a very passionate, emotion-driven issue, as it should be anytime you talk about sanctity of life or life and death issues, uh, but really wanted to hear from Americans. And I sat down with about 30 plus people in different parts of American life, different expertise, really just to hear the heartbeat of America when it comes to this issue of abortion. Mm. You know, I'm curious as you kind of went around the country and had these conversations with people on on the abortion issue. Was there anything that surprised you in your in the conversation? Is there any what did you what did you learn that surprised you? Well, I, I mean, I, I like history, and so I, I didn't know that even the terminology of pro life and pro choice is fairly recent. You know, in our in our vernacular, we're kind of born and we kind of know our our time frame that we live in. But if we don't search, we don't understand the why this, the language got to be the way it was and how even the language causes some of this polarization. There's a lot of nuance. I found out that there's a lot of nuance in the pro-life movement when it comes to you know restrictions or no restrictions or you know those sort of. And it's the same way in the pro-choice movement. And so my goal also was to, I didn't want this to be propaganda, although yes, I am pro-life, if you want to call it that, I'm really pro-justice. And for me, that includes this issue, but I didn't want it to be propaganda. I wanted it to be hearing people's voices and allowing the viewer to form their opinions and be motivated and convicted on either side on how, what the best choice of action would be. So I really was surprised to really, like I said before, hear the nuance also you know, hearing from post-abortive people, women and men who have been affected, but have to hear their points of view on how abortion had affected their lives, not just back when they had one, two, three, four, five, six abortions, and I do mean five or six talking to one woman, um, but also where they were now and what their viewpoint was. It, it does seem, you know, it's interesting. This issue gets framed a lot as a, in terms of women that, that you know, this is a women's issue. But it's interesting to me if you, you know, if you look at the percentages, about half of women in this country are pro-life. You know, so I think one of the things that is kind of underreported is just the passion of pro-life women and how many of the pro-life organizations are led by women. The the other thing I think that is often underreported too is the pro-life issue is often kind of painted as a kind of a white Christian issue, mm-hmm. but it does seem like as you go around the country, there's a lot of diversity among pro-life folks, right? That, that this is not just one segment of people that really care about the unborn. So maybe talk about the kind of those two things. Did you learn more along those lines too, about kind of people's pro-life views? Well, first of all, um, for your first point, you're, you're absolutely right when it comes to women being pro-life. I mean, even the early feminists were, were, were pro-life in, in the sense that they were against abortion. Again, you know, the term pro-life is, is relatively new, but in, this, in the yeah. sense that they were against abortion and wanted to protect pre-born babies, the early feminists, that's that's what they were. And there was there was this shift. Mm-hmm. And so there is a large group of women, half of them, as you mentioned, that will consider themselves to be pro-life. And, and as far as it being an, a women's issue, a lot of times you get the you get the sense that, okay, this is not a men's issue. People say, well, it's not a men's issue. You don't have uterus, why should you be involved? 
And to that, I usually say, well, this child could be a male. <laughs> this child also this right. child also has 46 chromosomes, 23 and 23. So a man had to be half of it, had to right. be part of it. Um, right. and, and quite yeah. frankly, a lot of times what we've found is that men are a lot of times involved in the choice to terminate a pregnancy, whether that is through coercion, whether that is through uh, payment, or maybe that's through his absence and his promise not to be present is why maybe a woman may, may choose that. So, so men have, and, and also, you know, we found, and we talk about this in the film, how many very wealthy, influential men um, were involved with moving this movement forward and are still involved with making sure that abortion stays legal and readily available because it benefits men to have this option, not for women, but for themselves. And so all these things, you know, I was discovering as we were doing this research, but th there is a lot of diversity in this movement. The problem is that for in many respects, the largest voices or the largest microphones are coming from the quote unquote white Christian or white evangelical, white Catholic, whatever you want to call it, demographic. And they're able to talk about being pro-life, but there are pro-life sentiments throughout every ethnicity for all time. Uh, the, the black community is one of the largest, you know, when you look at, at uh, statistics about who identifies as being Christian, the black community is as Christian or more than their white counterparts and have many of these same feelings. And there are a lot of other reasons what I'm sure we'll talk about, but there are pro-life pockets in all backgrounds, all ethnicities, even yeah, all absolutely. even all denominations. And so it's not just, uh, you know, a lily white uh, movement, although the, the pro-life political movement tends to be more white than the actual sentiment of being pro-life for a lot of other reasons. That, that's, that's a great question. And I think, you know, a lot of times it's reflected in polls, right? That, you know, it's just seen as this Republican Democrat thing. But when you see polls, you know, most of the country, it seems, is uncomfortable, with the practice of abortion. Now people disagree on kind of what kind of how many, you know, the level of restrictions and all that. When you walked around the country and asked people, you know, really how they felt about the humanity of the unborn, were you surprised how many people when you actually talked about the issue were uncomfortable with abortion? You know, the, this, this kind of idea that we can discard babies, it seems like it sits uncomfortably with a lot of people, even people that may not vote that way or may not feel that way or may not express that. Did you find that? It's, it's uncomfortable when you get to what actually occurs. Only, only a small handful of people can actually uh, watch or discuss the actual process of an abortion and be unfazed. What mm -hmm. is comfortable for a lot of people is framing the discussion around uh, women's rights which, hey, th that is of great value. We, we all should be for women's rights. I mean, you know, women are, are equals. You know, they should not be abused, taken advantage of, none of those things. So when you frame the, the discussion around, you know, that type of terminology or a woman's choice or, or from a scientific biological standpoint, you frame it around, you know, not quite being a human all the way yet until, uh, until viability. Then, then it gets a little more comfortable to talk about. But when you get to the actual nuts and bolts, so to speak, of, of what happens, you're right. Um, most people are not comfortable. And so they intentionally um, don't think about that. And, and, and one thing I found is that it's important that we talk about that.
um, it's important that we be honest with what exactly it means and what exactly happens when you have an abortion. And that's not my opinion. That's what I sought to go see and to go hear and to go discover what exactly is going on and what is the impact of what's going on. One of the things I've tried to do in my pastoral ministry is encourage people to go to counseling, whether you're feeling depressed or struggling with anxiety, or maybe just working through a difficult relationship issue in your marriage or with your children. Counseling is really important. This is why I'm very excited about my friends at Faithful Counseling. What I like about Faithful Counseling is that you can go online to the website and you can fill out a form with some really good questions and they will match you up within 24 hours with a counselor suited to your needs. This is counseling that is biblical, that also understands the the clinical and chemical sides of what ails us and what plagues us as, as people. And it's fully confidential. One of the things I like about online counseling is that sometimes there's a stigma for us to get in our car and go to a office building or inside a church that sometimes is a barrier for us to go get help, the help that we need. We feel like we're performing in front of somebody or letting people know that we have an issue. With faithful counseling, online counseling, uh, you'll be matched up with a counselor within 24 hours. If you don't like the counselor that you've been matched up with, you can change with, with no charge and it's all in the confidentiality of your own home. You also have 24-hour access to your counselor and you'll get responses uh, within 24 to 48 hours. I just really think this is a great resource. So if you are someone that really knows that you need to go get some counseling or you want to talk with somebody about a situation in your family, in your life, please check out my friends at Faithful Counseling. Go to faithfulcounseling.com slash way home. That's faithfulcounseling.com slash way home. And if you do that, you'll get a 10% off discount on your first month. But please do check out faithfulcounseling.com slash way home. Let me ask you this. You know, we obviously the pro-life movement has in uh, 2023, it'll be half a century, be 50 years since Roe versus Wade. I think a lot of people in the pro-life movement are cautiously optimistic that we're making some gains, both in kind of state-level restrictions, but also, you know, you see the the number of abortions has dropped significant, you know, steadily over the last several years, which is encouraging. And yet there's still a deep divide over it. If you're looking at the future, I guess two-part question, are you optimistic that there will be a day where we won't have as many abortions in this country as, as we do now? And number two, what message would you give to the pro-life movement? And what are ways that we can all champion the unborn in ways that persuade folks who may not see it our way to, to see it that way? After, after doing this project, how would you answer yeah, this? I things? talked to a guy named Peter Breen from um, Thomas More Society. This was up in, in Chicago when I was visiting Chicago talking about this, this issue. And he, he made some really great points that Roe v. Wade is what we all focus on. It's kind of like the way we focus on national politics instead of state and local politics. It's really, really important, no doubt, but a lot of the change comes on the local level. And, you know, he brought up the point that, you know, if Roe v. Wade is overturned tomorrow, not much will change. It'll go back to the state level. And, and as you mentioned, there are several states where abortion was legal before and will continue to be legal. There are other states that, you know, will go the other way. And so 
while, while it's really important when we talk about this Supreme Court case, it's also important for the pro-life community to do the work. And, t- and Peter mentioned this to do. It'll be even more important for the pro-life community if that happens, because you'll be talking about the state level. You'll be talking about the advocacy on the state level. You'll be talking about the local laws, but also how are we loving and engaging and supporting women that are having unintended pregnancies? You know, how are we supporting families? How are we providing for them? Uh, I mean, you know, the, the work will not end if Roe v. Wade happens to be overturned. And so I think that that's something that uh, was kind of not shocking to me, but, you know, as someone who, you know, hears about Roe v. Wade all the time, as we all do, that's what we always talk about. You know, we all talk about the Supreme Court and all that is important. But with the same token, what happens in our living rooms, what happens in our neighborhoods, what happens in our churches, what happens in our school districts, in our local municipalities, um, that work on the state level is going to be as if not more important if that does happen. Mm, that's a good a good word. I guess I'd ask you uh, before we're done here, thanks for your time, mm-hmm. by the way. This has been great. And uh, just appreciate this film and the, the work that you're doing. I want to encourage you in that. I, I do think God has raised you up as a leader in our day on a, on a variety of issues that I think are so important. What message would you like to give to people who watch this film, what action points would you encourage folks to do to try to try to create a society that it more respects uh, the dignity of human life, whether it's the unborn or the elderly or everybody in between? Yeah, uh, you know, I, I want people to come into the film. Uh, I want people to leave from watching the documentary, just thinking about this issue in a different way. I, I don't quite know what that's going to be for everybody. From those who have seen the film, I've seen people say. Hey, I was blown away. I had no idea about any of this. So for them, it was it was super educational. They learned about abortion, what what happens during an abortion, how we got to this point. They heard voices. For them, it was it was an educational uh, event. For others, they felt valued because in in the documentary we speak to, as I mentioned before, people who have who have had abortions. You know, four out of ten women sitting in our church pews have had abortions. You know, and many of them feel discarded. Many of them feel like they're less than. And God is a God of restoration. He's a God of forgiveness. All those things that we talk about. So that, that applies to them too. And so some of them have reached out and said, you know, wow, I've really felt I felt valued. Thank you for addressing that. Thank you for hearing that voice. For others, you know, as you mentioned before, many people think it's simply red, a red and blue issue. You know, it's Republican Democrat. But we know for a fact that there are several Democrats who are are outwardly pro-life and others, unfortunately, are silenced about being pro-life because the party has said that there's no space, there's no room for anybody who's pro-life in the party. But there are those that were blue that are pro-life as well. And so, you know, I, I think that people are going to get feel different things. But the number one thing I wanted to promote was civil discourse, empathy, and, and love. And when I say love, I'm not talking about a feeling. I'm not talking about something bubbly. I'm talking about, look, if we are people that really want the best for others, what's the best way for us to love them? What's the best thing for us to say to them? How do we say it? What do we do? How do we open our arms? How do we advocate? What do we not say? Where do we say, you know what? I messed up here. I shouldn't do that next time. Those are the things I want to challenge people to do. And so, you know, the the feedback so far has has been very positive. And again, this wasn't again. This wasn't about propaganda. Honestly, we were trying to release this thing a long time ago, but COVID happened and funding and all that stuff. This is my <laughs> first time getting involved in a film, 
And now I realize how <laughs> difficult it is. But it's exciting that the film is out and that it's streaming right now on Salem now. And, and I'm, I'm just um, excited for people to watch it. One more question. Sorry, I lied. We're, we're living through maybe one of the most divisive years in modern history. I, wanna, I don't want to say it's the most divisive because we've, we've had civil war, we've had you know, the 1960s, but we're, obviously this will be a year that our kids will read about in history books and, and, and everything. And it seems like you know, people are divided against each other about a variety of things. What word do you have to, to people, to people in general, but also to Christians to try to you know, bring civility and unity and healing to a, a really divided country? Yeah, you're right. This is, this is one of those years. And it's funny because at the beginning of 2020, it was like, oh, yeah, it's 2020. We're going to have 2020 vision and see clearly. This is going to be so exciting. It's a, le- it's a leap year. And that quickly went, went down the tubes. But uh, n- nothing is without any redeemable um, lessons or redeemable qualities. And so uh, 2020 is no different. And specifically, you know, we're, we're in an, an election cycle that is, in my, in my short election life, uh, this is unlike anything that we've seen, except maybe the last one. <laughs> it just keeps ratcheting up every year. But I, I'm reminded, I'm reminded of a verse in Psalm, Psalm 16, 8. And it says that I've continually set the Lord before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. And that's the psalmist, David, um, speaking. We know much of what he's, he went through as far as, uh, you know, uh, falling, you know, in sin, as we all do, but also just being uh, chased and, and having enemies come against him in so many different ways. And in many ways, I feel like we are shaken in some respects in this country, specifically politically, um, we're shaken on an issue of life and death, like abortion, uh, from a, a, a racial justice standpoint, uh, we are, our foundations have been shaken. There's a reckoning that is happening and it's uncomfortable for a lot of people. There's health issues that are going on, obviously with the pandemic, uh, with people getting sick, there's an economic crisis because so many people are not able to go to work and they're working virtually and just everything is kind of changing. And I think all that is adding to our division. And so specifically for believers, you know, in that verse, it reminds me that, you know, I've continually, so I've always repeatedly having to set the Lord before me, having to set his precepts, his idea of justice and righteousness, his kingdom rule, his ideals, not mine, before me, because if not, I'm going to continue to fall into division. I'm going to continue to be influenced by what's going on around me. And it's okay to be influenced by, we're all going to be influenced by what's going on around us. If, if we get sick or if we lose a job, I'm not saying that we're going to be these robots that aren't going to be affected by anything. But what I am saying and what I believe that that that, that verse is impressing is that within all those things, with him before us, with our eyes on on him, our foundations won't be shaken. Our, our foundation won't be gone. We'll still be on the rock. And then he says, with him at my right hand, the right hand is the place of power. So it talks about you know submission and submitting to what he would have, submitting to how he would have us talk and engage and, and advocate and speak and say things that maybe we're afraid to say, but that are true break off relationships that we're scared to break off, talk about tough issues like race and like, you know, politics and abortion and freedom of religion. And the list goes on and on and on. Submit to what he would have each of us to do. 
And that's how I think we should live in this time. That's the challenge that I, that I'm having, and, and quite honestly, it's it's hard. I mean, nobody wants to put themselves out there. I mean, it, we're living in a very very tough time, but I will also say that we're not as divided as it seems. And so, while we're always going to have division, we're going to have different opinions. That's the beauty of America: is that we we vote for every four years. We can have different opinions. It's okay. That's that's how the Constitution is made up for to allow us to have that. That's a good thing. But we also have to realize that when we only get our news from cable and we, we only hear the loudest voices, you think we're more divided than we are. And we have to be careful about allowing ourselves to fall into the tribal trap and turning on each other's humanity. Because in between that, just like in the documentary, I found that there's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of people who are willing and open to have these conversations, but we wouldn't know it by simply listening to the megaphones. So that, that's that's kind of how I how I felt, um, especially when it comes to you know where we stand right now in 2020, coming up on November, and and who knows what happens after that. Um, but 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 that's 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 the word that 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 I felt that I've been encouraged in. Well, I appreciate that, and that's a great way to to close. I want to encourage folks if you're not following Ben Watson please do. Uh, he's gotten a couple of great books out there. And most importantly, this really important documentary called Divided Hearts of America. And uh, it's streaming now on SalemNow.com. So I want to encourage you, we'll have links to that in the show notes. But Ben, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate what you're doing. Always good to talk to you. Thank you for listening to this edition of the way home podcast with daniel darling for more information you can visit danieldarling.com if you do like this podcast we encourage you to subscribe on itunes or your favorite podcast catcher we also encourage you to rate and review so others can know about the podcast you can follow me at at dan darling on twitter or go to my facebook page facebook.com slash daniel m darling I also want to encourage you again to check out my latest book, Away With Words, and you can visit awaywithwordsbook.com. Thank you for listening again to The Way Home Podcast. This is a production of the National Religious Broadcasters.